Hello, I'm Viv Groskop. I'm a comedian, a writer. I love the sound of my own voice. And this is We Are Women. We Are Women is brought to you by Mint Velvet and it's all about what women are made of. Sugar, spice, all things nice, obviously, but with a bit of anger, sadness, mad joy, steely strength and a few dirty laughs thrown in too. Each episode we pick a theme and this time it is... Make Yourself Heard! If you've ever wondered how to talk so people can't help but listen, don't go away. Regular listeners will have noticed our music has changed. That's because this episode has been taken over by the new album of a guest you'll be hearing from very shortly, Sophie Ellis Bexter. I think it's really nice feeling to feel a bit scared sometimes with what you're up to, especially if it's something creative, because otherwise you just get a bit stuck in a rut. We're also going to hear from voice coach Caroline Goida. Maybe I shouldn't speak. Maybe I don't know enough about this subject. Maybe that man over there is more qualified. And from science writer... Angela Saini. I think of feminine clothing as something that emphasises you're a woman. And in the world that I'm in, that can really put the spotlight on you. But first, let's hear from our studio guest, the wonderful Jo Alvin. She's the legendary editor of leading fashion magazine Glamour UK, a magazine she's edited ever since it launched in the UK in 2001. She's taken this magazine repeatedly to number one in a fiercely competitive and volatile market. She's five times a winner of the prestigious Editor of the Year Award from the British Society of Magazine Editors. She knows absolutely everyone, always looks incredible, wields tremendous power with grace, and yet never seems to take it all too seriously. Welcome, Joe Elvin. Gosh, thank you. I've never had such an amazing introduction. I feel like I should not talk and then just let that, you know, I, then I won't sort of like disabuse Anybody. Well, I have to say, we've known each other for a while. I know yes. you a bit. And you do wield this power and this position that you have with, with grace and with a sense of humour. Well, that's very kind of you. I don't feel that powerful, though. Do you, do you not? Know? No, no. I'm just doing my job and doing, thankfully, a job I really enjoy doing. What are your strategies for making your voice heard uh, amongst other powerful people? I think over the years, what I've tried to do is um, pick my battles. I I think there probably was a time when I was a new editor, not not at Conan Asp, but at other magazines, where I would go with every single little niggle or problem to the boss. And then you, you do, you become white noise. And I think that that's true if you're a man or a woman. I've learned over the years, if I feel very strongly about a point or very strongly about something I need to happen, I prepare and I make sure that I haven't spent the last six weeks moaning and griping about every everything that I possibly could. Oh, that is great advice. If only <laughs> I could follow that. I need to follow this with my children. I think I've turned into white noise. Well, um, it, it, I, I think it's I think it's different with children, isn't it? But yes, again, I'm hoping to, as my daughter, you know, sort of like as on the cliff face of her teenage years, I want to 
be chill, as the kids say, about that tattoo, probably, because there'll be things that I know I will be very unchill about. So I'd rather just make sure she knows the difference between when I feel seriously about something and when I don't. In my house, you get a tattoo, you go to Siberia. Depends where you get the tattoo in my house. And as somebody who has a tattoo, I can't really sort of lay claim to that one. You can't just drop in the fact that you've got a tattoo without me getting the story out of you. Uh, Listeners, you're going to have to listen to the end if you want to find out exactly how she got that tattoo. It's in a disappointingly safe for workplace, but there is a funny story, so yes. It's like a secret we hold And the adventures we go on are untold You've got to lose yourself If you have any comments on how to make yourself heard um, or any comments on our podcast at all, we'd love to hear from you. Come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page or tweet us at Mint Velvet. And while you're there, you can contribute to our long running feature and tell us what advice you would give to another woman. Stacey got in touch on Facebook to say her advice would be always compliment another woman if you like how she looks. Interrupt her day and be kind. I love that. Charlie writes, life shrinks or expands in proportion to your courage. I read that today and thought it was so true. And Michelle said simply, always have a dog in your life. That is good advice. I'm also, I'm thinking of every now and again, you come across some woman who always looks spectacular. So I'm a little bit concerned that that woman's going to get interrupted 500 times a day with people telling her she looks great to the point where she's just going, yeah, all right. I know. (laughs) But she deserves it. Let's hear some more (laughs) advice. My name is Julia Hobsbawm and I'm an entrepreneur and a writer and educator. Be yourself, accept yourself and be kind, not just to other women, but to everybody. I'm Sindhuvi and I'm a stand-up comedian. And the advice I would give to other women is don't ignore how important it is to be well acquainted with your sexual self. I'm Joe Wiley. I'm a DJ for Radio 2. And my advice I would give to my younger self is probably to stop caring so much, but also if there is something that you don't like about yourself, then to change it. You can work on yourself. You can change things. Um... It's possible, so do it, yeah. Fix yourself. Thank you, Julia, Sindhu and Joe. And that clip from Jay Wiley is just a taster of the interview which will be in our next podcast released on the last Friday of August. Make sure you subscribe via Apple Podcast, aka iTunes, or wherever you like to get your podcasts and you won't miss it. We just have to surrender. The fabulous music you're hearing in this podcast is all from the latest album, Familia, by Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Her interview is coming up shortly. First, though, our feature, My Life in Clothes, which explores the way your clothes tell your life story. Angela Saini is a science journalist and broadcaster who has won countless national and international awards for her journalism. Her very first book was a bestseller and her second book is out now and it's called Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong and the New Research That's Rewriting the Story. She kindly let us rifle through her wardrobe. I don't have very much because I cull clothes a lot and also I lose clothes a lot. So I've got two very different things here. Um, So first of all, this, which looks like a very raggedy old nighty. 
And it is a very raggedy old nighty. So when uh, when I was expecting my son, everyone said to me, "You need a you need a new nighty that you can take to the hospital, and that you don't mind getting completely trashed." So I bought a very very cheap nightgown, and of course, before you give birth, it just comes off, and you're naked in front of all the hospital staff. And so this nighty survived. I still wear it four years later. My son's four, and it's still my favourite going to bed in piece of clothing. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to let this go. It's like it's my, my lucky nightwear. <laughs> the very first job I ever had after I left university, um, I went to New Delhi to work as a journalist for a features magazine. I got paid very little, but my very last paycheck came just before I was about to leave. So I went with um, a good friend of mine, to Satya Paul, who is a big sari and Indian clothes designer in Delhi. And um, there was this just stunning silk sari, white and black stripes like a zebra, and then one very big red stripe across the top, which you wore over your shoulder. And it wasn't a kind of girly sari. It was very bold and striking. It really stood out and expensive, but I didn't mind because I'd bought it with my own wages, my, you know, very first job. And it meant everything to me. It was beautiful, but somewhere along the way over the last 20 years, it's gone, gone missing, <laughs> which, which is very sad. So I have also got a piece of clothing, unlike the nightgown, that I've never worn. And this is the most feminine, flowery, floaty piece of clothing I've ever owned, I think. It's a pleated skirt um, just covered in flowers and it's got some mesh here so you can see through it. And it's kind of uh, mid-length. And I, I, and I think I bought this thinking I will wear a skirt and I will look feminine. And yet I never pick it out. I, I really don't know why. I, I really, I, It's really hard to explain. But I think... Um, I had the kind of upbringing where you, you're always aware of how much of an outsider you are. So I grew up in a very white area. I'm Indian. So I was always, you know, the brown girl. I was always noticed, even whatever I was wearing. So that combined with the fact that I was into science and when I was at school, I was often the only girl in my class. And then also when I got to university, I was the only girl in my class. And then you stand up doubly so, you know, <laughs> you, you, everyone notices you. And the instinct is to just blend in. Um, so I think of feminine clothing as something that emphasises you're a woman. And in the world that I'm in, that can really put the spotlight on you. So, I've, so I, I guess maybe psychologically I've always veered away from that. But at the same time, you know, maybe because of my mum's influence, maybe because my sisters who really love uh, you know, feminine clothing and um, accessories and makeup and stuff. Um, I still have this kind of inbuilt attraction to these things, but I tend not to wear them. So I will. I think this week I will. I'm going to a literary festival this week and I'm going to try and wear this skirt. My book, Inferior, really looks at, um, for the past 200 years or so, how women have been let down by science. So in the 19th century, when a lot of male biologists, including Charles Darwin, said that women were intellectually inferior to men, that wasn't based on evidence. That was based on their kind of quite crude observations of the women immediately around them. We now know that's not true. Women are equally intelligent to men. That's a scientific fact. You know, IQ is exactly the same on average between men and women. Um, and yet... 
These ideas die very slowly. In fact, only last week, um, the Sunday Times called me because a paper had just been published saying that women have a lower IQ than men because they have smaller brains. And that is just not true. You know, we all say to ourselves, women are just as capable as men. When you actually see the scientific evidence for it and see how that evidence has been manipulated and abused and misused and lied about um, for more than 200 years to keep women in their place, um, it's just shocking. It's really shocking. And science, when it should have been pushing women forward, you know, giving us the facts, the true facts, telling us that actually we are just as capable, that um, men looking after children is not some strange, abhorrent uh, quirk of nature, that actually men have done that for thousands and thousands of years, that women have always worked, they've gathered, they've hunted, they've done all the things that men have done, then you start to see just how damaging and unfair patriarchy has been to women for thousands of years and um, for me as a science journalist um, to learn about that body of work and uh, to put that into the context of my own life and the lives of the women around me has um, has been life-changing you know it's completely turned on its head everything I think about the world and and women Thank you, Angela Saini. I really want to know if she did wear that skirt. I want to see a picture. I, I bet she to... didn't. Do you think so? Yeah, I, really, I, bet. I can't I, bear the thought of her not wearing it because she doesn't want to be like a look but, like a lady. We've all got those psychological barriers. It's like it's fascinating what she's saying about clothing. It is even when you're really intending it not to be. It's clothing is so coding. It says everything about you. In even even if you're sort of like trying to eschew fashion and eschew being somebody who is seen as caring what they look like, you're coding yourself when you do that. And that's the power of clothing. Well, you've got on today fashion forward sleeveless blouse. I'm calling it fashion ruffly pale blue blouse and some interesting trousers. Can I sort call them interesting? Yeah, of course. You like an interesting trouser. I do like a silly trouser, I would say. This is pretty much what I wear every day. A pair of crop trousers in an interesting shade. The Marni completely over-the-top bejeweled sandals. The trousers are Prince of Wales check. And I've calmed it down with a pale blue top. You have ended up with this hashtag on Instagram, hashtag clothes my husband hates, yeah. where you photograph yourself from the neck down. Yeah, because my head doesn't go with any of my outfits. So, you know, so let's just keep that <laughs> out of the Obviously, you've got a head your husband loves. But the, <laughs> most days. But yeah. most days you are wearing something that he hates. And this is a hashtag that has really taken off, isn't it? Why do you think that is? It's I think because a lot of women relate, a lot of women have sort of like taken the hashtag and, and used it for themselves because... You know, men on the whole don't get women's fashion. And I think for men, there isn't the same kind of choice for the ordinary guy. So they don't understand the, you know, the playfulness that can come into women's fashion. A few people are like, wow, your husband must be very grumpy. What does he like? You know, but it's just he just finds my pretty much 90 percent of my wardrobe highly amusing. Hearing Angela there discuss her book, that sounds absolutely fascinating, doesn't it? And I love this idea of debunking the myth that women are inferior. I know that's something that you're really hot on at Glamour, is that it shouldn't be an environment where women are slagging each other off. Yeah. How do you achieve that in the pages of a magazine, which is really aspirational? I like to look at the little bits of language that have 
that have slipped into the culture and just trying to notice those oh, isn't she gorgeous? Don't you hate her? Don't you know? It's and, and it's kind of stuff like that where you're being a real conspirator in making women gang up on each other. And I think that's women's magazines of old. It's things like, um, I, th- I know for years and years it was acceptable and jokey to call a white vest top a wife beater. It's like, you know, stuff like that. It's not funny on any level. Mm. In your job, though, you have to straddle a lot of uh, different themes and ideas. Is it true that you have judged a Miss World I competition? I did do that. I did do that in 2001. And I think the reason I did that is because I just wanted to see what the hell that was like. I, you know, I met lots and lots of young, amazing women. They were from largely from poor countries, really aspirational, really wanted to do something with their lives and saw this as a way, as a platform. So they were all gorgeous. So therein lies, you know, a problem. Um, but it was also the year that they decided to eschew doing this sort of like, and now we're going to do the bikini lineup. So I was like really pleased that, I don't know, it's just in the ups and downs of and the problems with those sorts of competitions, I met a lot of really impressive young women. Well, there are many ways of making yourself heard and many different kinds of feminism. Uh, Let's hear from someone who really knows how to make herself heard in lots of different ways, Sophie Alice Baxter. I'm here with Sophie Ellis Baxter, singer and songwriter. We're sitting on her gorgeous pink velvet sofas in a beautiful room full of Mexican Day of the Dead knickknacks, actually, which is curiously comforting. Sophie found fame with her singles Groove Jet, If This Ain't Love, and Murder on the Dance Floor. Since then, dozens more top 10 singles, three top 10 albums. She even found time to win the nation's hearts by taking part in Strictly Come Dancing. Last year, she released her very successful latest album, Familia. Critics called it lush, elegant and effervescent, which is not a bad description of the woman herself. Welcome, Sophie. <laughs> welcome. You welcome. Well, rather, You're rather in my house. welcome me to your house, <laughs> yes. but welcome to the world of the podcast. Of course. Now, a critic picked up on a lyric you had in Familia. Why be so ordinary? Why just conform? Why be so ordinary? Why just conform? And went on to say, Alice Baxter knows that a lifelong career is built on a certain amount of risk taking is that true are you as brave as that suggests um I don't know if it's about bravery I think it's to do with just not getting too predictable and like to yourself really I think it's really nice feeling to feel a bit scared sometimes with what you're up to especially if it's something creative because otherwise just get a bit stuck in a rut and I think it's that's sort of the opposite of doing stuff that you're excited by sometimes your speaking voice is very unusual it's quite croaky today. You're croaky. Yeah, yeah, I'm really croaky today. It's really annoying. I had um, basically I haven't had much sleep for a few nights. Not from like party and wildness, more from sort of infants and travel. So um, and I sound a lot like my mum actually as well. So yeah, that's, I'm definitely normally a bit husky, but this is a slightly more pronounced version. Do you think that you're able to take more risks in your creative life because you have a very stable home life? I mean, I'm I'm saying that sitting in this room surrounded by loads of family stuff you know you clearly have a very grounded family life does that mean you want more excitement in your career to contrast well I think you're right that that gives you the freedom and I think I'm trying to do that with with my kids really I'm sort of obsessed with this idea that if your home can be somewhere where you can really be yourself and be relaxed and be unchallenged it's just good for your morale good for your head 
I always think of it like dropping an anchor, like that for me is is the base and that means that you can go and explore, but this is the place you come back to that makes you feel centred again. Mm. And you've got four boys now, have, right, who are aged from... From one to 13. Right. Yeah, so quite a scope, really. I think, um, like any working parent, you get to the end of some weeks and you think, I didn't do it right, I maybe compromised my work or I maybe didn't spend as much time with the kids in a proper way as I wanted to, but... I tried not to be too hard on myself. I think if your intentions are good, then by and large, you're probably you're probably getting the balance right if you step back over the course of time. And you sort of tend to know, don't you? I know you've got children too. You sort of tend to know, oh, that's probably Speaking one of them of now. Speaking of children. <laughs> oh, look. Hello. Have you been out in the sunshine? Yeah, you went for a paddling board, didn't you? He is gorgeous. Do they all have hair like that? Uh... One, two, and four. Bright, bright, bright red hair. The theme of this podcast is making yourself heard. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as a singer, that's not too much of a challenge (laughs) if you're not making yourself heard, you're doing something (laughs) wrong. But how does that fit in with your lyrics and what you want to express through your music? Is that something that's important to you? Yeah, I think it's pretty vital, really. The things that always resonated and things I'm intrigued by, the artists I've always loved. Yeah, they tell a story, then there's lots of personality in what they do. So that's something I feel like I have a responsibility to put in what I do. Um, and I don't want to hide behind anything or have some really weird gap between the person I'm on stage and me in real life. Like maybe when I was younger, a bit more. But I think as you get older, you don't, you're not fearful about those things anymore. I'm ignoring for for now uh, the one thing that I think anyone notices about you straight away, which is that you are absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> you, you are, just own it. And I'm wondering how that has been for you. Uh, you once said, uh, for every person that says I'm the new Audrey Hepburn, there's someone else who says that I look like an alien, which I think <laughs> is a wonderful thing to say. So how do you stay grounded when you know that people are looking at you all the time and it is important in your job to look amazing it is but not necessarily to be beautiful I don't think actually I mean my favorite people when I was growing up um Madonna Bjork PJ Harvey artists like that they they just owned their own thing and Mm. were fearless in that regard I remember reading this quote from Dita Von Tees once um you know this amazing burlesque artist always looks incredible immaculately turned out and she said she said people come up to her and go I don't get it. You're not even that beautiful. And she'd say, I, I know, isn't it fabulous? Isn't it fabulous how much I've, how, how I can own it when I'm not that traditional beauty? And I just think that's so, that to me is like, that's the thing that ticks all the boxes of how you should feel inside. And, you know, like everybody, you have good days, bad days. I spent my teenage years with nobody interested in me. These are the, those are the formative things, aren't they? That's, that's who's in my head. I actually think I'm quite a, a little bit of an odd pod, but I think it's quite a nice feeling when maybe that's what music always gave me is like it gives you a community and somewhere to belong and I, I've always loved that. You shared a picture of yourself last year with a bit of a tummy yes let's say and I think a lot of women would have cheered <laughs> when seeing you do that not that you looked awful but that you were open. I'd gone along to an award ceremony and Someone had, I'd had a baby not that long before, but still long enough before that, you know, there are definitely women out there that don't still look like they're pregnant. So I think at the time he was maybe six or seven months. And I'd gone out and I decided to wear quite a fitting, form-fitting dress. 
and I'd left the house feeling great. And then at the end of the night, this woman had literally put her hand on my tummy, went, oh my God, are you pregnant? And as soon as she'd done it, she realized, and I think my face told her that this was not the case. I was going, it's absolutely fine, it's fine, don't worry, okay, it's fine. Um, But it wasn't really fine. I kind of wanted to go home pretty much straight away. But then I thought, you know what, there's two options here. I can kind of sweep it under the mat and be like, that's horrible. Or I can just say, like publicly, sometimes these things happen and it's okay. I've never had a flat stomach, even when I do that bloody Strictly training. Never had a flat stomach in my life. And maybe that's okay. Maybe there's a sort of myth that that's either what we return to or what we're born with. Neither of those things apply to me. So I'm just going to say it. You have this huge LGBT fan base all over the world. And then in Russia, it's a fairly homophobic country, to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, how how did you feel about that? And do you ever notice that when you're performing over there? Yeah, no, that's been really heartbreaking. Um, and I've definitely, yeah, agonised over um, whether, you know, you choose to go and what that means about you if you're there. I have a, a gay following with my music. I make a point of saying in my shows, everybody's welcome and you can love whoever you want to love. I feel like if I don't go, it's not going to be a big story, it's not going to be a big event, me not going, but it might mean that people that sometimes go somewhere where they dance along to the songs that make them feel good about themselves, maybe that's all I'm really stopping happening. You know, if you, if I go to a gig, it makes me feel part of something, so I suppose maybe it's a bit naive, but I just hope that's the same thing that's happening back. Well, speaking of music making people feel part of something, I've read that you and your husband sometimes DJ together mm-hmm. and you argue as well as our arguments either about the songs or about Richard just generally commandeering all the buttons which I find really annoying if I'm doing a mix he'll likely just sort of like touch the buttons after not even really adjust the levels but just touch them afterwards which I find really annoying but I know I've realized he just has to so let him have his fun thank you so much Sophie Good oh my pleasure and listen to how quiet Jesse's been incredible he's only next door oh, he's obviously very well raised by Maybe very good just parents captivated by hearing me talk so so fully about these aspects of his mother that he never knew <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks to Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Joe. Sophie was talking there about this emphasis on looks, which obviously she can't really avoid in her profession. But how do you reconcile that, not only in the magazine, but also in your personal life? Because you've got a 12-year-old daughter. Mm. How do we teach women to enjoy their appearance and have fun with clothes without becoming fixated on it? I think it's a, you know, it's a marathon and not a race. And with her, I think, I think if we're all praising ourselves and each other for more than the way we look. That's what's important. I don't like this movement now where it's wrong to tell somebody that they're beautiful. You know, for some people, that is a huge part of their assets that they're going to take out into the world. But I would, you know, I would always caution against relying solely on that. And I think that in the magazine, you know, we celebrate all kinds of different women. Beautiful women sell the cover and I can't really get away from that and I can't make any apology for that. But I also think in Glamour there's an enormous amount of ways in which to be beautiful. We've just had Winnie Harlow on the cover. I think that as long as we're celebrating diversity as much as we can, then that's, you know, I'm doing my bit. 
Caroline Goider is a leading voice coach. She's worked for many years at Central School of Speech and Drama. She trains CEOs and TV news anchors, and she's the author of the book Gravitas, which outlines how you can increase your own gravitas and talk in a way that others will always want to listen to. Welcome, Caroline. Hello, it's lovely to be here. How important a part of who we are is voice? Oh, I mean, now it's... We're taught at school to to write, but really nobody teaches us to speak. Mm. You just assume that they've learnt it along the way, and and people don't. One of the first steps, I know you think this, to making yourself heard is to have an element of this gravitas, as you call it. And I'm wondering if you can teach Joe and me how to... Teach me! Yeah, do it right now. What can we do to have the gravitas? So... Here's that my big belief is that we all have it, that my, to some extent, my 11-month-old has quite a large degree of it in the sense that she is very much grounded in her own presence. And so the first step is really about liking, you know, trusting your own energy, liking your own energy. Oh, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> we all have our good days and bad days. I'm already doing some kind of weird yoga pose. <laughs> it's working for me. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a really, really straightforward, uh, I I hesitate to call it a trick, but it was something I was taught by a neuroscientist, and it's called Fofbok. It's basically, she said, you know, when we're feeling anxious or nervous about stuff, you know, whether it's I have an 11-month-old baby belly or, you know, should I be here, all that stuff, she said, just go into the body because the attention system is really limited. You can either be going all the neurosis in your head or you can say to yourself, my feet are on the floor. Off, feet on floor. My bum is on the chair. Which B-O-C, is your, bum is on it, chair. There you go. So you just you really take a moment to feel your feet on the floor, your bum on the chair, and you centre your breathing into your gut, into your back. This is me doing the fof bock. See, there you go. So it's mindfulness in, it, a, in a sense. It's a bodyfulness or a yeah. voicefulness in a sense. Because mindfulness, it's funny, we focus on the head, don't we? But actually it's an embodied, grounded presence. Fof bar. <laughs> I mean, just walk into a room and say that. Are you ready yeah. for the fof <laughs> I feel like I could become the person who says at the, at the beginning of the movie, in a world yeah. where two tribes go to war. Maybe not. I can see that. <laughs> totally. I was believing it. You should have kept going. I Do want to know what so. happens in that world. Okay. Yeah. Wonder yeah. Fof, that's bring just it the on. magic of, of Fofbok. Um, Caroline, do you think that women in particular struggle to make their voices heard? Or is that something of a cliche that we've started to believe in? I think there is still something, isn't there? There is. Sometimes we show up in meetings and we go, maybe I shouldn't speak. Maybe I don't know enough about this subject. Maybe that man over there is more qualified. And sometimes that stops women speaking. I think there's also something about, some for some women, there is something about wanting to be liked. And there's also something about modifiers that sometimes we say, well, maybe quite, you know, I hope this is. And that stops our voices being fully heard. Those are all learnt behaviours and I think they are changing. One thing I've got to stop doing at work, and I do it as much as anybody else, and we need a pact where women don't apologise before they say something. This might be a terrible idea, but, you know, I, I don't know why we do that. I think we perceive rightly that if we are too feisty, I don't like that word because mm. it's used on women, if we're too confident, if we're too loud in the room, if we're too authoritative, that people might judge us. Mm. Sheryl Sandberg says relentlessly pleasant was her solution. Sounds so 
exhausting. I know. Yes. <laughs> Let's be relentlessly pleasant. Yeah. Whilst I can't do it. <laughs> it. Sounds terrifying. I think it's more important just to go back to that idea that you you know to some extent you just have to trust yourself and you have to tune into what the room needs and what the common purpose is and then sometimes people are going to like you sometimes they aren't and to some extent there's nothing you can do about it thank you so much to caroline for joining us oh thanks viv it's been great now it's almost time to go now that we know how to make ourselves heard before we do our hot topic for this podcast it's where we talk about something everyone's talking about at the moment and this time it's festivals because i am off to the edinburgh festival next month with my show anchor woman when the news gets too much please come and see it uh, joe i wondered about you do you like a festival a um, festival girl with your fashion forward tops and your crop trousers or is that not going to work I'd in a field a bit off brand at a festival yeah i you know i just I kind of want to like them. I'd love to come and see you. I think something like, you know, a cultural festival. Yeah, my, the festival totally I like, Edinburgh, me. is in a city. Yes. With toilets. Exactly. That's very nice. I've never, you know, it was when I was watching Glastonbury on my sofa this year, and it was an amazing Glastonbury. It's the first time I came close to a bit of FOMO, but no, I, I can't imagine me ever willingly going to that field. Uh, please do tweet us at Mint Velvet or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page and tell us your festival tips. And also tell us what you think of the show and don't forget the advice that you would give to another woman i really want to hear that myself now the thing i don't want to miss though is joe's tattoo bust it out come on oh gosh it's really not that exciting it's a tiny little e um in a poker chip font on my ankle the first time i went to las vegas i arrived there i was doing a television show with the hairdresser james brown and we got there a day ahead of the crew and we were bored and we were jet lagged. And there was a tattoo parlor in the reception of our hotel. That's Las Vegas for you. And he said, I'm going to get a tattoo. And so I went with him and he was thumbing through. And he kept saying, I think you should get a tattoo, get a tattoo. And he said, because I just think it would be kind of hilarious to go back and say, oh, I went to Las Vegas and I came back with this tattoo. And then you have a story. And I thought, yeah, that is quite a good reason. And so it, it took him like 20 minutes to flip me from I'm never getting a tattoo to getting this tiny little one on my ankle. This, uh, show, show me because I can't quite picture it. Can you see I it? I can't see I'm going to have to. Oh, yeah, I can see it. Okay. And then so I, it is in a poker font. Yes, a, a capital e. e. And I hid it from my husband when I got back for about five days because I knew he'd be very anti. And I said, listen, something happened in Las Vegas. I've got to tell you. If you say it like that, he's imagining... You know, I slept with someone or I got arrested or something really crazy Vegas happened. So when I said, oh, I've got this, he was a bit like, oh. And he just said to me, how old are you? And then just left the room. And then he said to me, is that an E for Evie, which, who is our daughter? I said, yes. He said, well, everyone's going to think it's for Elvin. But um, anyway, it is for Evie. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was for Elvin. Well, you know. If, if, if people think that, people think that. But I know the truth now. What yeah. a lovely tribute to your daughter to uh, have a poker tattoo on your ankle. It's so <laughs> great. We'll be back on the last Friday of the month. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, iTunes or a provider of your choosing. And please do rate us and review us and tell us what you think because it helps us get better and it helps other listeners to find us. My thanks to our guests, Angela Saini, Sophie Ellis-Bexter, Caroline Goider and of course, Joe Alvin. We Are Women is a Whistledown production for Mint Velvet. The producer is Kate Taylor. I'm Viv Groskop. 
Thanks for listening and goodbye. Love.